Okay, let's open up in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We'll be reading two verses this morning, verses 13 and 14. The title of this sermon is A Culture of Life and Sexual Wholeness. Let me read these two verses and we'll pray again. Exodus 20, verse 13 and 14. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, God, that um, what we just read and heard was originally literally the audible voice of God, that Moses actually heard these words from heaven. And so, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you and invite you, and we ask you to give us ears to hear your word this morning. Would it be as if we were like at the base of the mountain hearing your word? You are able to do that. Your word is living and active. And so Holy Spirit, just come and lead us, teach us. You are the teacher of all things. Um, help me just to be helpful and faithful to your word and nothing else. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I want you to imagine for a minute, even if you're into this, like close your eyes and imagine you, you for the very first time you open your eyes and you are one of the first two humans on the planet. And you look around and it's beautiful. Uh, you look to your right, you have a companion for life. You have all that you need. You have all your food, safety, security. You have emotional safety and security. You're known and you're loved. And then you look to, over here and God is there. And you guys are so close, you literally go on walks every day. I mean, just imagine this, this scenario. And then one morning you wake up and the sunrise is beautiful and God says, hey, okay, I have a couple of commands for you today. A couple of commands. Uh, I didn't create you only to frolic naked through the fields, though that's fun. Um, I actually have created you with a purpose. I've created you for a reason, a way of being my people. So first, uh, there's this tree in the middle of the garden. And if you eat it, you live forever. So eat that tree and live forever. Uh, second commandment, there's a tree next to it that you shouldn't eat from. If you eat from that tree, you'll die. Uh, third, that I've given you a spouse for life. Um, you guys are to be faithful to one another and uh, you're to enjoy intimacy and have lots of babies. That's a commandment. You hear me? That's a commandment. Have lots of babies. Uh, fourth, you have a job. Um, you are to have dominion over this entire planet. That's your job. Meaning all this beauty that you see, this garden, this cultivation, I want you to spread this, what's going on, this good situation here. I want you to take it to the ends of the earth and I want you to bring my shalom everywhere you go. I want, I want you to just create a people who are walking with God, who are obeying his commandments, who are enjoying his good gifts. You see, God desires humans to flourish. He desires you to flourish. The Bible calls it shalom, peace. And from the very beginning, he's been about your joy and your good. He gave you life. He created you with sexuality to be enjoyed and healthy and whole. And then he made Adam and Eve with this, this priestly role we've been talking about. I want you to spread this throughout the world. Now, you may have heard, you may be familiar with the accusation 
against God, that, you know, God's really just a cosmic killjoy. You maybe have heard that. You maybe have felt that yourself. Like, man, when I read this book, I just feel like God's just a dictator and he's trying to give me rules and he's trying to ruin my life. But if you've, if you've read the book, if you've read up to the third chapter in Genesis, you'll, you'll recognize that that lie was from the serpent. That lie that God is holding out on you, that he's robbing you of joy and life, that that, that is a lie from the enemy. And, and so it's really easy sometimes when we live in this world to, to buy into that lie. Man, God's just trying to rob me of my joy in my life. But, but we know what happened. What happened when Adam and Eve bought into that lie? The very opposite of what the lie promised. They died spiritually and physically. They were broken sexually. Where they used to be naked and unashamed, there was shame and hiding from one another. And they even hide from God. Now, those two consequences specifically, there were more. I want us to remember, like put a pin, remember those two things. That though we had life, now we have death. Though we were once sexually whole, now we're sexually broken. Remember those things. We're going to pick those up in a minute, okay? So to kind of catch up from Genesis to Exodus, we know God has just delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. And he leads them into the wilderness where he's now not only delivering them from bondage, but to be worshipers, to be a type of people who are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. He delivers from something and then he delivers to something. He's remaking his people. He just got his people out of Egypt, but now he needs to like get the Egypt out of his people. Like it was 400 years in slavery. Like 400 years, like America's been around for like 250, like 400 years of slavery. There was this deep culture of brokenness and death and sexual brokenness that God's like, I need to remake you. I need to refashion you the way I always intended you to be. And how does God remake his people? This is pretty awesome. Remember the story? He leads them to the base of this mountain. And it's basically just on fire. And there's like smoke swirling around. Just imagine that. And then he, he calls Moses. He's like, hey, Moses, you come up here. I mean, imagine if you're Moses. Like, I don't necessarily want to go up there. And he's like, yep, come up here. And he gives to Moses what we know as is the Ten Commandments. Here they are, the Ten Commandments. And what he's communicating to Moses, to his people, to you and to me, is that these commandments is the new, this is how I'm reshaping you. This is who you are. This is who I've always created you to be. I'm reshaping you through these commandments. And when you obey these things, this is how the world will recognize, oh, those people are different. Those people have been with God. That's how he reshapes them. Uh, I flew in from CARP yesterday and I was just spending time in the city last night and uh, where CARP is, there's two cultures. There's white surfer culture and then there's Hispanic culture. That's literally it. That's all. And then maybe a tourist will come who's different, but that's it. So it was refreshing for me to like see a few different cultures, even just in the restaurants represented. And, um, and I was thinking about the World Cup and all this pride we have in our culture, right? Like it's how we dress, we express our culture and what we eat and what we do for fun. And what God is doing doing in the Ten Commandments is saying, I know you have all these cultures and those things are beautiful, but I want you to be remade into a new people, a new culture. 
a culture that is full of life, a culture that is sexually whole. And so that sixth commandment, you shall not murder, what he's doing here in this commandment, don't kill each other. He's making us, the people of God, Israel, and then the church into a culture of life. Uh, Pope John Paul II, he lived a while back, he called our modern age a culture of death. Uh, even, I mean, I mean, it would be too depressing to list that, to talk about the school shootings and the death in our world and in our life. Um, listen to this stat though, a, a kid before they're 18 will see 200,000 plus murders on screen before they're 18. Um, if you're into Lord of the Rings, it's kind of nerdy, but I love it. You will see 212,470 4, 212, deaths in the trilogy alone. So that's like more than a whole kid sees in his whole life just in watching Lord of the Rings. Like we're a culture of death. And a culture of death, here's what a culture of death does. It views people, humans, as mere objects, as mere tools, as disposable and dispensable. And this culture of death, of death has been around from the beginning. Remember, right after the fall, the first brother kills his younger brother. There's a culture of death being shaped. I mean, think about Egypt. Think about slavery. Think about what slavery is. It's not a culture of life. It's a culture where people are just tools to be dispensed with. Think about Rome, maybe the, the greatest empire that's ever been around. For, it wasn't screens. It was like we all got together like this just to watch people kill each other. And then think about our nation and the history of blood in our nation. Like we're steeped in a culture of death. And it's into this human culture of death that Yahweh steps in and he invites his people back to a culture of life. He says, listen, people are valuable. They're valuable because I made them and I made them in my image. Every person will literally exist forever. Like that's valuable. Like I have some things I like. Uh, I have some instruments, some things I like. Like it's gonna last 20 years. A human being will last for eternity. Humans are valuable. And so God is saying, listen, we need to be a people that values human life. That isn't, we're not just taking life at our own convenience. And now listen, uh, I'm gonna get political for a second and I'm a guest preacher so I can't get that political. Um, but I can say this, Dave approved this, okay? Listen, each side of the political spectrum tends to value some life to the exclusion of the other. Some people value unborn babies and some value immigrants and so on and so forth. But hear me, you, the people of God, are the only group that uniquely values every human life as made in the image of God. Amen, I mean, that's worth celebrating. We are the only people in all of history that says we preserve this life and this life and that life. Even the lives of our enemies. We don't just take vengeance on our enemies. They're in the image of God. Even those we radically disagree with, be it Fox News or CNN, those are in the image of God and they're valuable. Even the lives of our so-called inconvenient, of our elderly, of those who have disabilities, 
Even the lives of those who don't live in our own country, we value those lives, the value of the life in the womb and the value of a life all the way to the tomb. Listen, we value the life of those on death row. Remember Jesus on the cross, the guy hanging next to him, Jesus just like saves the guy. Like, yeah, let's go to heaven together. We value the, those who are on death row. We value the lives of those who live permanently outside as fully equal to us in the image of God. We value the lives of those who contribute nothing to society because people are more than tools. They're in God's image. And we, the people of God, need to be about the flourishing of every human life. Every human life. And I just want to encourage us, challenge us. We probably have our things we're passionate about over here, but like let's stretch ourselves and ask God to give us a heart for those who we tend to just devalue, even in our speech, even in our attitudes. Like, no, people are in the image of God. And then God gives us the next commandment. You shall not commit adultery. And what he's doing here is he's making us, the people of God, a culture, a people of sexual wholeness. Uh, it seems the church historically doesn't have a great track record towards sex. Uh, we've kind of been more afraid of sex. Um, it's kind of like nothing more than a necessary evil, right? Like, yeah, we know it has to happen because babies, but you know, we'd rather not talk about it. Uh, Tertullian, a church father, literally wrote, I would prefer the extinction of humanity over procreation. This is a church father. He's like, yeah, sex is just, maybe we should just all die. Uh, Augustine. Augustine had a sex-filled youth and he, he began to love Jesus and Jesus made him holy, but he always had this baggage from his sexual past and he just, he just viewed sex as like, man, I just, it's, it's too much in my past. I can't deal with it. And he, he would prefer not to talk about it and he even said sexual passion was a sin. Uh, in the time of Martin Luther and the Reformation, the Catholic Church prohibited sex on 183 different holy days. You can't do that on 183 of these days. So the church uh, has historically been afraid of this, um, yet we know who created it. And God is, he made us sexual beings and he made us sexually whole. And he wants to preserve the context where sexuality is expressed, that, that, that lifelong covenant of marriage. And so he's preserving that covenant. And he says, so listen, don't commit adultery. You, you, you are to enjoy this gift in a relationship where you are fully known and loved for life, where you are giving yourself, your body to another, and they're giving their body to you. Now, it doesn't matter what you believe about um, sexual immorality or not, every culture agrees with this. Adultery sucks. It just does. Everyone agrees with that. Being cheated on is the worst feeling imaginable. To be betrayed by the one person you've given your heart to, it's, it's the worst. To break the most profound re relational covenant is just horrible. It ruins the deepest bonds. It ruins children's lives. We have all been affected personally by adultery and by this covenant being broken. And not only do we just know, man, adultery is not fun. When God made sex and marriage, interestingly enough, it was not a permanent thing. It was a lifelong thing because it was a pointer to God's love and commitment to his people. And so when adultery happens, what it's, what it's saying to the world is this is what God is like. 
The, you know, God's, maybe he's not that faithful. Maybe he, he found another bride that's more attractive. Maybe this bride wasn't doing, you know, what she should have been to him, and so he's going to go find his needs somewhere else. Adultery is, is, a, is a deep lie about who God is. But we know Jesus isn't like that. He's a faithful husband. Through thick and thin, I mean, reading this book, it's like, why did you stay with us, God? But he's like, that's who I am. I'm a faithful husband to my people. And so to get really practical, that means for those of us who are married, um, we're to keep that marriage covenant holy and reserve sex for that union. And for those of us who are not, I just want to remind you, you have a better spouse already and Jesus will preserve your sexual wholeness until you get married or until you die and you're going to have a far better relationship anyways. And so Jesus uh, is, is remaking us his church. And, and what I love about Jesus is he actually, when he comes on the scene, he picks up the commandments. He's like a new Moses, and um, he starts giving laws, right? And if you're familiar with his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, um, he shows up, and he does something that Moses didn't do, that the prophets didn't do. He, he does something with these rules. Do you know what he does? He goes deep down into our hearts. Because do you know what's really interesting about these two commandments? Don't kill people. Don't commit adultery. They're the two easiest to be like, okay, I'm good. I haven't killed anybody. And uh, I haven't cheated on anybody. I'm good. And what Jesus does is he's like, yeah, but you know what? I'm going after your heart because you have murder in your heart and you have adultery in your heart. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, and slander. And he's referring to the Ten Commandments. And you've probably heard this. Jesus is like, okay, you've heard don't kill each other. Good, that's great. But listen, I say to you, if you are harboring bitterness or anger towards your brother or sister, you are just as guilty as a murderer. You've harbored hatred and murder in your heart. And, and Jesus, in love, confronts the murder in our heart. He's, he's saying, man, do you harbor bitterness and resentment to those who have hurt you, who have wronged you? Do you, do you kind of make people subtly pay for how they've hurt you by just being, you know, really just like giving them a cold shoulder, your subtle comments about them? Um, I'll be honest, I've seen the way Christians talk on Twitter. And it seems to me there is some hatred and murder in the heart that reveals itself on social media. And so Jesus is going after, not only don't kill people, he's going after those deep places in our hearts where we're harboring, where, where the, the roots of murder are already growing. Man, every murder started in the heart. Just think about that. Every murder started in the heart. And then Jesus just picks up the next one. You've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you even look at another person lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. And I just want to be real, like, man, what do your eyes linger on? What do even your eyes, when, where does your mind go when you see that picture on Instagram or that ad or someone walking down the street? Because it's the same with adultery. Every adultery, every act of adultery began in the heart and it began with lust. Maybe just lust for a little attention from that person, a little recognition, a little flirtation. 
And Jesus loves you enough, he's going after your heart. He wants not only this culture where we don't kill each other, he wants us a culture where we forgive and love one another. Not only a culture where we're not just sleeping around, he's like, I care, I don't want that in your heart at all. I want to remake you to be pure. But if we stop there, it's pretty heavy, it's a pretty heavy word from Jesus. And I want to remind us together as a church of the best news you will ever hear. Jesus is more than a lawgiver. Jesus himself is a deliverer. I'm going to say that again. He is more than a lawgiver. Jesus himself is a deliverer. And I'll be honest, the default of my heart, when I think about Jesus, I'll be really honest with you guys. I only tend to think of him as a lawgiver. And when I read the Sermon on the Mount, I tend to think, man, I don't do this stuff. And Jesus is like, don't do this and don't do this. And you thought Moses was bad? Wait till I come. And like, I just hear laws. That's my default. But remember how Jesus came to not only give us the law, but like Moses, deliver us from the law and fulfill it in himself. You remember, I have to do this to my own heart literally every day when I read the Bible. No, what's the pattern of the Bible? Before God gives a law, he delivers. Before he gave the Ten Commandments, he delivered from slavery. And before Jesus ever requires holiness from you, he says, let me be holy for you and let me deliver you from your own wickedness that we struggle with in our heart. Jesus delivers us from our own hearts and to life and intimacy with him. Jesus has delivered you from the consequences of all of your failures, all of those places of bitterness, all of those thoughts of lust, from our internal Egypt, from our internal slavery, from our internal fear and lust and anger. Jesus shows up and is like, I will deliver you and your heart from those things. Remember the Passover lamb? Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? The lamb who was slain. That those who would be covered by the blood of the lamb would be spared. And remember the firstborn sons that died in Egypt? Jesus was the firstborn son of God who was killed so that we could be delivered. And Jesus delivers us from the weight of the very commandments he gives to us. Think about that. He gives you a commandment and then he says, let me fulfill that for you. From our inability to perfectly guard my heart and my mind, he shows up on the scene and he says, I won't harbor any lust in my heart. I won't harbor a single bit of anger or resentment in my heart. And he was perfect. And though he was the only one who obeyed, he then took the curse of our disobedience upon himself and went to the cross. And all of your guilt and all of your failure and the lust that you experienced this week was nailed to Jesus 2,000 years ago. And he delivered you once and for all. And then he went in the grave and he rose again that you could have true life. Because Jesus isn't only a deliverer from from our sin, he delivers us to himself, to a new covenant 
relationship. He is the only truly faithful husband there has ever been. And he came for us, his bride. And in our sin, that was adultery against God. He says, I'll cover that. I'm coming for you and I'm bringing you to myself. And, and one of the beautiful themes throughout the Bible are these stories where God pursues adulterers and he loves them. And the whole book of Hosea is he marries a prostitute and he says, I will be faithful to you. Time after time when you run from me, I will be faithful to you. Remember Jesus to the adulterer when all the people want to stone her for failing and he says, I do not condemn you because he was condemned for her. He delivered her. He delivers us and brings us to himself. And as Isaiah 62 verse 5 prophesied about you, the people of God, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Man, it's really easy when we hear these commandments for it just to be heavy and to be like, man, I, I haven't obeyed. Yesterday, I... Uh, in my Uber was talking to a Muslim man who was a driver and he was, he was talking about, you know, like we're pretty similar, you know, we're worshiping the same God. And so I was kind of asking what, what it is, what it's like being a Muslim in the city. And he's like, yeah, you know, we're supposed to pray five times a day. It's really hard. Like I have to work. I can't really do it. And he, he was excited to be like talking about God and then he just got really heavy. He's like, yeah, I mean, I, but I, I, it's hard to be a good Muslim and I have sin. And um, I could tell that what he was operating under was only law, only works. And he, he loved God and he was trying to do a good job, but there's just this heaviness about him. And I was reminded of the beauty that, that the God of the Bible offers. That, man, we get that. He's holy and there's commandments, but he is the only one who he himself delivers and fulfills and makes us whole. And I got to tell that man, like, the best thing he's ever heard. Hey, what if God came and command and fulfilled those, all those times you didn't pray five times a day? What if he fulfilled that for you? What if he still loves you right now? What if he wants to rejoice over you like a husband does his bride on the wedding day? And so I want to encourage us as a church, myself included, man, we want to be and are called to be a culture of life and sexual purity. But praise God for Jesus who delivers us from our failures and then brings us to himself and then says, listen, I love you. I already love you and rejoice over you. So let's go a better way. So like follow me to life. Follow me to sexual wholeness. He is a healer and he wants to walk with us. And so this morning, we're gonna worship a Jesus who is faithful, who is forgiving, who welcomes lawbreakers into his presence. Praise God for that. So let me pray for us and then we're just gonna worship Jesus together. Jesus, you are so good and so faithful and so forgiving. Thank you that you have taken the weight of the law upon yourself. Thank you that you are a deliverer from death and sin and rebellion, Lord. God, thank you that you are making us as your people to be these priests who have a really good message to share to people who are just like us, who are sexually broken and angry and bitter that, man, Jesus came to deliver us even from our own hearts. And he delights in us and brings us to himself. 
So Lord, I pray right now that as, as we approach you, Jesus, um, we may be feeling like that, that prodigal son who's, I mean, we know we're supposed to go home and we're kind of like nervous and sheepish and like maybe I'll just be a slave. Would we receive the love of the Father that runs to us, embraces us, kisses us, put a new robe around us of righteousness, a ring on our finger, kills fat and calf and just parties that we're with you. Because what you've always wanted, that we would be with you. So we say thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you the veil was torn. It's in Jesus' name, amen.